Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for joining the podcast. In this session, we're going to cover a very emotional condition, especially when it occurs in adolescents and young women. We're going to cover primary ovarian insufficiency. The number of reproductive years among women varies depending on steroid production by the ovaries. Primary ovarian insufficiency is a depletion or dysfunction of ovarian follicles with cessation of menses before the age of 40. And it has previously been referred to as premature menopause or primary ovarian failure. Primary ovarian insufficiency is the preferred term advocated by the National Institute of Health because ovarian function can be intermittent or unpredictable in many cases. Okay, now in this podcast, we're going to cover primary ovarian insufficiency or POI specifically in adolescents and young women. Follicle depletion or dysfunction in adolescence may be caused by many different factors. It's often caused by chromosomal abnormalities or damage from chemotherapy or radiation therapy. It is also associated with a premutation in the FMR1 gene for fragile X. Primary ovarian insufficiency may be associated with multiple endocrinopathies, including hypoparathyroidism and hypoadrenalism. Approximately 4% of all women who have primary ovarian insufficiency will have adrenal or ovarian antibodies, which suggest an autoimmune mechanism for disease. In many cases, the true etiology actually remains unknown. Now let's cover Fragile X in a little bit more detail next. Remember that Fragile X syndrome is the most common form of heritable mental retardation among females with primary ovarian insufficiency and a normal karyotype. 6% have a permutation in the FMR1 gene. Now, although the onset of menstruation appears to be normal among permutation carriers in adolescence, about 1% of permutation carriers will experience their final menses before the age of 18. So if a woman has a family history or a personal history of ovarian failure, or if she has an elevated follicle-stimulating hormone level before the age of 40 without a known cause, then fragile X permutation carrier testing should be offered. Now that we've covered Fragile X syndrome, remember there are other chromosomal abnormalities which may be at play here for primary ovarian insufficiency. A common cause of primary ovarian insufficiency in adolescents is gonadal dysgenesis with or without Turner syndrome. So when adolescents present with primary amenorrhea and no associated comorbidities, 50% are found to have an abnormal karyotype. Among younger women, aged 30 years and younger with secondary amenorrhea, 13% will be noted to have an abnormal karyotype. Now remember that there's non-genetic causes of premature ovarian insufficiency as well, like environmental insults with chemotherapy or radiation. These obviously are not as common. The immediate loss of ovarian function after chemo or radiation therapy is termed acute ovarian failure, which may be transient. With chemotherapy, the age of the patient when she received chemo, the types of medication, and the number of dosages all will have an effect on the possibility 
possibility of gonadotoxicity. Although the highest incidence of acute ovarian failure occurs after the use of alkylating agents or procarbazine, the younger the patient at the time of receiving the chemo, the more likely it is that follicles will survive. So that's a clinical pearl. The younger the patient at the time of receiving the chemo, the more likely it is that follicles will survive. Pelvic irradiation especially at doses of more than 10 gray, is a significant risk factor for acute ovarian failure. All right, when we come back, let's cover the diagnosis of premature ovarian insufficiency, and then we'll wrap up the podcast with treatment options. There is no consensus on criteria to identify primary ovarian insufficiency, specifically in adolescents, and delay in diagnosis is common. In general, for the delay and initial evaluation of primary ovarian insufficiency, the following is recommended. First, a diagnosis should be suspected when menstrual irregularity or lack of cycles occurs for at least three consecutive months follicle-stimulating hormone, and estradiol levels should be checked, two random samples at least one month apart, according to the college. Prolactin and thyroid function tests should also be obtained. Now, if the diagnosis is confirmed, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, then getting a karyotype is very important. Now, in addition to the karyotype, remember that an FMR1 permutation must be looked for specifically. Adrenal antibodies can also be considered, as well as a pelvic ultrasound. Initial laboratory evaluation for suspected primary ovarian insufficiency includes measurement of basal FSH and basal estradiol levels and tests to rule out causes such as pregnancy, thyroid disease, and hyperprolactinemia. Remember, here's your clinical pearl. Gonadotropin and estradiol levels may be altered by the concomitant use of hormonal preparations, so these should not be used if the patient is having blood tests done. If gonadotropins are elevated into the menopausal range, typically that's a basal FSH greater than 30 to 40 milli IUs per ml, depending on the lab used, then a repeat FSH measurement is indicated one month later before giving the patient a diagnosis of POI. If the results indicate that FSH is persistently elevated, then the diagnosis of primary ovarian insufficiency can be established. Estradiol levels of less than 50 indicate hypoestrogenemia. Now, although antimalurian hormone and inhibin B are used for infertility to test ovarian reserve, they're not quite yet established for the diagnosis or management of premature ovarian insufficiency. At this time, until more research is available, their use should not be considered routine for a POI diagnosis. As for treatment, optimal treatment of an adolescent in whom primary ovarian insufficiency is diagnosed requires special sensitivity to both the physical and the emotional needs of young women receiving the diagnosis during a time of significant developmental changes. For adolescents with primary ovarian insufficiency, the objective of treatment is to replace the hormones that the ovary would be producing before the age of menopause, making the treatment distinctively different from hormonal therapy for menopause.
menopause that focuses on the treatment of menopausal symptoms. Young women with primary ovarian insufficiency may need higher dosages of estrogen than menopausal women to ensure adequate replacement and optimal bone health. Okay, so here's a treatment clinical pearl. In girls with absent or incomplete breast development, estrogen therapy should be initiated and increased slowly before administration of graduated progesterone dosages until breast development is complete. This can prevent tubular breast formation for those patients who have not initiated or completed puberal growth and sexual maturity consultation with an OBGYN specialist in reproductive adolescent health should be done. Now, once pubertal development is complete, ongoing hormonal therapy will be necessary for long-term health. Hormonal support involves daily therapy with the goal of maintenance of normal ovarian functioning levels of estradiol, transdermal, oral, and occasionally transvaginal estradiol in doses of 100 micrograms daily is a therapy of choice to mimic the normal physiological dose range and to achieve symptomatic relief. The addition of cyclic progesterone for 10 to 12 days each month is protective against endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer. These can happen, of course, with unopposed estrogen. All right, now we have to stop here for a minute and give a quick side note about the importance of fertility and contraception in adolescence with POI. Fertility may persist even when few functional follicles are present. Now, because of occasional, spontaneous resumption of ovarian function, there still is a 5 to 10% chance of spontaneous pregnancy despite the diagnosis of POI. So unless pregnancy is actually desired, a discussion of effective contraception should take place. Now, although oral contraceptives are commonly prescribed in this situation, the use of barrier methods or an intrauterine device is also encouraged. All right, as we wrap up this podcast, a quick word about two associated potential comorbidities bone loss, and other endocrine disorders. First, bone loss. Although some experts suggest monitoring bone mineral density every year in adolescents with estrogen deficiency during early to mid-puberty to document peak bone occurral, and then every two years in late adolescence, others do not because the implications of a low bone mineral density in this population is unclear given the low risk of fracture and the potential for long-term treatment of low bone mass. To date, long-term use of bisphosphonates is not recommended in the adolescent population because of uncertain adverse effects and safety profiles, so further research is still needed in this area. All right, let's end this podcast with a quick word about endocrine disorders and POI. Remember that about 20% of adults with idiopathic primary ovarian insufficiency will also experience hypothyroidism, mainly Hashimoto's. Following the initial diagnosis of POI, it is appropriate to test thyrotropin levels and to look for thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Now, although no recommendations for routine thyroid screening exist in the adolescent population, given the high prevalence of this disorder in patients with POI, it is reasonable, according to the college, to check for thyroid disease every one to two years. 
Additionally, remember that patients with POI also have a 50% chance of developing adrenal insufficiency if they have adrenal autoimmunity. So patients should be tested for adrenal autoantibodies, and if the results are positive, they should undergo yearly corticotropin stimulation testing. Now, data are lacking on the follow-up of patients with negative test results. Diabetes mellitus, pernicious anemia, myasthenia gravis, and even rheumatoid and dry eye syndrome have also been associated with POI in adolescence. As we wrap up the podcast, remember that the term premature ovarian failure can be particularly troubling to a young woman and her family. Insufficiency is the more accepted term in this population and more truly reflects the possibility of intermittent resumption of function. Patients and their families should be counseled on the effects of the patient's condition on future fertility. Remember that emotional support, as well as screening for other endocrine disorders, including adrenal insufficiency, are important concepts in adolescents and adult women with premature ovarian insufficiency. Well, that wraps up our podcast on POI in adolescents and young women. We'll see you next time. <music>